Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, it's good to see everyone. Welcome again. Throughout this month, we've been drawing some parallels between some key biblical themes and some of our most cherished Christmas classic movies. And we've had a great time doing that this month. All those messages are on our website. We've seen all sorts of key themes from the Bible and how they, they do really parallel a handful of the movies. Uh, some of the movies, though, contrast what you see in Scripture, and so we've had fun with that as well. Now, how many of you have seen this movie, Elf? All right. Here's a picture of the cover of Elf. Uh, we've kind of had some Elf scenery out in the courtyard. We had a life-size Buddy the Elf. You could take a picture with life-size Buddy out there. He's... Uh, He's standing out there. The movie was released in 2003. For many, it's a family favorite, bringing lots of laughter. Here's the story about Elf. On Christmas Eve, a long time ago, an orphan crawls into Santa's bag of toys and is raised as an elf there at the North Pole. And Buddy the Elf eventually realizes, he learns actually, his, his like, reality is shattered in this. He, le- he learns that he is actually adopted. He is... Uh, not really an elf, and he, he begins a quest looking for his true place in the world. And he heads to New York City, learns that his biological father lives in New York City. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing about Elf is he's a full-grown man. He's dressed like an elf walking around New York City. Maybe that's not that unusual. I've never been to New York City. <laughs> but he, he is a full-blown believer of all things Christmas, like culturally Christmas. So he's a full-blown believer of Santa, of elves, of toys, of decor, of sweets. Uh, And this is what he wears most of the time. All along the way, throughout the movie, he's spreading Christmas cheer, really in a world full of cynics there in New York City. He's trying to put people's, you know, he puts smiles on people's faces, or at least they're taken back by him. Uh, he, He stops by, or he walks by this dingy diner, and we actually have our coffee bar out there. You might have seen the world's best cup of coffee bar. That's in honor of Buddy the Elf. Uh, the fun scene here is a picture. He's, he's walking by this diner and he sees this, it's a dingy diner, has that sign, world's best cup of coffee. He takes that literally. He walks in and congratulates everyone. He's, you did it. Congratulations. World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to be here. And they're all just looking at him like, who is this guy? Now, this film sort of captures the nostalgia, the cultural nostalgia of Christmas in America, especially the joy and anticipation of, of Santa and the gifts that he brings. We've got some fun clips here we want to show you uh, to get the, fi- the flavor of the film Elf. Looks like a Christmas tree. Fruit spray? Sure. I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Santa's coming to town. Oh my God! Santa here? I know him. Oh. That's easier. 
he's getting his finger pricked to, to do a DNA test to see if that's really his father. And it, he doesn't like that prick so <laughs> on his finger. So Now, Buddy the Elf... But the elf reminds us to enjoy the simple things in life. Uh, It's a film about joy. It's a film about anticipation. You may have never seen Elf, and that's okay. Maybe for you, it's it's something like this. It's Norman Rockwell and his paintings. These paintings sort of capture the nostalgia of Christmas. Smiles, visitors, gifts, or this next slide. You know, just a a nice holiday feast and food and, and all of that. At Christmas, what we do is we often stop sort of the rush and the normal pace of life and celebrate what's most important to us, don't we? Now, for Christ followers, why do we stop? Why do we rejoice? It's, it's because of this. And I want to invite you to take out this insert. It's, found in, we, it's in the program that you received when you came inside. If you'd like, you can follow along. At Christmas, for Christ followers, we celebrate God's perfectly timed gift. That's what we're rejoicing about this morning. That's what the kids are singing about this morning. That's what we've been singing about. Let's look at a verse from Galatians in the Bible. It's it's a verse in the New Testament, Galatians 4, verse 4. Paul, he was uh, the the man that God used to write this portion, this letter, to a group of churches. This was written in the first century. And he wrote this to churches in a region known as Galatia. Now that would be right near the capital city of of modern-day Turkey. And so, but there was a group of churches there, and he's writing this letter. And in this verse, he wrote this, Galatians 4, 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. That's what we celebrate. Briefly this morning, what I want to do is I want to highlight four aspects of what made this gift so important. So the first thing is this. It's the giver. You can jot this down if you'd like. The, in the middle of that verse, it reads, God sent. This gift was sent from God, the God of the universe, the eternal God, almighty God, the one who spoke the world and the universe into existence, the one who gave us life and breath. That's who who is the giver. Now, you, you probably have a relative or maybe a friend who has a track record of giving really, really good gifts. And when you see a present under the tree, Written to you from that relative. For me, it was like my uncle. You get really excited. You're like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be because they have a track record of giving really good gifts. Now, when God, the God of the universe, gives gifts, there really there is no limit to the resources to which he can draw upon to give. You know, we have budgets. We have limits. We have credit card maxes. We have consequences that come in the mail in the form of a bill but god has none of those he has none of those when god gives it always makes a difference that's that's who is that's he's the giver and second the give you know the giver has given in connection with this with the promise it says you know god sent his son born of a woman this is Referencing a promise, over 700 years before the birth of Christ, God spoke these words through a prophet. His name was Isaiah. This is, again, 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah 7, verse 14. But when the, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In the New Testament, we read about the birth of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, one of his followers, wrote... Something is happening behind me here. 
I keep hearing it. I'm like, do I jump off the stage? Are we okay? We're okay, everybody. We'll let that settle. I want to read you from uh, Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 18 through 23. This is uh, where we see a clear connection to this prophetic promise in the Old Testament. Take a look. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to just divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 reads, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then Matthew just quotes directly from Isaiah 7, verse 14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus' birth to Mary, it was the fulfillment of a promise. In fact, there there were over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection. We can actually, but beyond that, we can actually trace back this promise much further back than just 700 years in Isaiah or these, these other Old Testament prophets, we can trace that all the way back to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sinned and disobeyed God's direct command, they fell and were now living under the curse of their sin. And, and we, you and I, everyone on planet Earth, we're all a chip off the old block of Adam and Eve. We are all prone to sin. It's sort of our default. We struggle. We sin. We fail to measure up. We've all gone our own way in life. And rather than following God natively, our default is to run the other direction and to want to be the ruler of our own universe, to write the rules, to write the boundaries, to decide what's right, what's wrong. We've all gone our own way. And because of that, we all stand guilty for our lives of sin. And so this puts us, it puts, it puts them, Adam and Eve, and it puts all of us in quite a predicament but there in the garden, God began communicating his plan of redemption. And it's found in the judgment that God gave to the serpent, to, to the devil, the one who tempted Eve. God said this. To the serpent, God said in the garden, I will put, this is from the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity, that word means hostility. I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's to be this war between the serpent, the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. So then, basically, everybody on planet Earth will be at war. There will be this battle, this cosmic war, between your offspring and hers. But then it says, he will crush your head, the offspring of a woman, and you will strike his heel. Now, we have this image in our mind when we think about Jesus. We have the nativity scenes in our mind. Here's a little tykes nativity. I have this at home. Does anybody else have this? Show of hands. Little tykes. I find these little plastic things all over the place in our house. There's where he is, or the shepherd, or this. But here's an image from that promise in Genesis 3.15. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross, and then artists. This is old, old paintings about the death of Jesus and then his resurrection. And on that, that one on the right, you see the offspring of the woman 
Someone born to a woman would crush the head of the serpent. He's standing upon Satan. Someone would be born on earth who would defeat sin and death and the devil. Now think about just how much of our lives have been clouded by sin and struggle and hostility. Think about how much tension that this has brought, the fight we're in. And yet Jesus would, you know, in his resurrection, win the victory. So this was the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. And when it comes to a promise, we have, we have some choices. We either trust the person who made the promise, we wait with confidence, knowing he's going to come through. I can trust the promise keeper. And this is what a lot of God's people did, was they trusted in God, they put their hope in him, and they waited on his promised redemption plan, that he would send someone to rescue. And even if people died waiting and, and Jesus didn't come or the Messiah didn't come, they would pass on the story to their children. And they would wait in hope. And then that group would pass it on to the next generation and to the next generation. That's one way to respond is to wait and hope in God, trusting he will keep his word. Another option with a promise is to become tired of waiting and fail to pass on the promise to the next generation. And for many people, this has really become their story. But God did respond. He kept his promise. So let's look at the next thing is the timing. That verse in Galatians 4.4, 4, it reads, But when the time had fully come. The word here, time, in the Greek is the word chronos. The chronos is it's where we get chronological. It's, it, it indicates a period of time. It's, it is, when we think of chronology, we think of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. It's calendar time. This means time in history, when the time had fully come. God's ultimate gift came about 2,000 years ago. His gift was the culminating act of his work on earth. He chose the exact time to send his gift. What this implies is there was order, there was thought, there was intention, and, and we get that. We understand the importance of timing. If you're mailing a gift, if you've mailed some gifts this Christmas, you, you probably made sure that it would, they would arrive on time. You don't want them to arrive after Christmas. You pay extra to make sure that it arrives on time. God's gift came at the exact time in human history to make the intended purpose that he had in his mind. Right down to the families who were living on the earth. Right down to the location the gift was sent. The people and the world leaders who were in power. The population count. The communication. The language. There was, there was a common language so that messages could travel quickly. There was uh, roads. So there, was a, there was travel means that things were advancing. And so the time was right. To send the promised gift. And so the fullness of time, that phrase, it's, it's very significant. But it's not just about the people and the places, but there was something more wrapped up in this idea of timing. This phrase also describes how everything was right in, in the hearts of people and in people's understanding and their minds for the gift to be received. Here's why. It's because everything that God was doing in the past was completed in order to prepare for this culminating gift. Mainly everyone was totally aware that they could not live up to God's perfect standard for right living. Since Adam and Eve, we've, we have not been able to deal with our, with our sin problem. Without our sin being removed, then guilt remains. 
And pretty good in life is still not good enough. We still miss the mark for God's perfect standard. And, and part of the whole preparation leading up to this gift was that everyone understood at that point that they could not provide for their own righteousness. They, they couldn't be good enough. They couldn't follow God's laws. They kept missing the mark. So 2,000 years ago, everyone knew they, they didn't measure up. They couldn't measure up. And so just before the gift arrives, there was a period of silence. There's about 400 silent years between, sort of between the Testaments in a sense, where there were, between the Old and the New Testament, where there was no new words from God, there was no new prophets, no new messages. And in that time, some people lost hope and they failed to pass on the promise to their children. Other people, though, they kept waiting. They kept hoping in God, knowing that we need God to act on our behalf because we're not able to do it ourselves. So they were waiting. Which brings us to this final aspect, the gift. It says God sent his son. This was the fulfillment of God's promise. Look at John 3.16, very familiar verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, if someone gives you a Christmas gift, you know, now, a couple of days away from Christmas, you pretty much have two decisions. It's do I tear it open right now or do I put it under the tree and wait for Christmas? Uh, someone gave me a, a gift last week and they were really excited to give it to me and they were kind of, they were kind of bouncing and they're like, I got something to give you. It's out in my car. And I started bouncing. I'm like, let's, let's go get it. Then he's like, let's, you know, and he's like, you can open it right now. And I'm like, can I? Okay. And I tear it open. It was awesome. I put it in my office. It's, it was very, it was very cool. You know, that's how it is with, with, with gifts. You could decide, do I want to open it now? Do I want to be more traditional and open it up on Christmas? He was excited. He wanted to see my response. You know, with, with God's gift, you have some choices to make as well. What, what are you going to do? with God's gift of his son, Jesus. Some people are just not sure what to do. What do I do with Jesus? Do I, do I think about him in a historical, spiritual sense once a year? Do I put, him out, you know, put out a nativity scene with a baby in a manger and say, that's nice, you know, what a nice story. And at the end of the season, I just kind of box up baby Jesus and the nativity and and my spiritual life, and I put it up in the rafters until next year? Or, or is there some other response to this gift? The verse in John 3.16, it actually gives us the right response. This is what God would hope, or this is what God desires, and, and this is why he sent the gift. It's whoever believes in him. You see, the Greek language uh, that, that this was written in, the word believe, the Greek is pistuo, and what it means is, to trust in or to to rely upon. This is very different. The word believe in the Greek is different than our typical English definition of the word believe or belief. We we tend to separate belief from trust and from full reliance. We believe in sports teams. We believe in people. We believe in investments. We believe in future plans. But most of the time with what we'd say we believe in, we still have a backup plan. What this verse is saying is that God's gift is an invitation to believe, to fully rely on Jesus, to deal with our sin problem, to remove our guilt and our sin for all eternity 
and to have no backup plan, to fully rely on Jesus alone, in Christ alone. This is, this is not just a this is a nice story type of belief. This is I'm staking my life on this, and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to earth, the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise to redeem a broken people in real need. And I believe that he was born in real human history. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cruel Roman cross for my sin, but he didn't remain in the grave. The scripture says, since he was God in the flesh, he defeated sin, death, and the grave when he resurrected, when he came back to life. And when you, and if you, believe in him and give your life to him, He forgives your sin. He removes your guilt before God, and he gives you eternal life, something we call grace. You might think, I don't deserve that. I'm not good enough. You know, the reality across the room, across the planet, is that none of us are good enough, and that's grace. We have a gracious, giving, generous God. But you know what? You have to open up that gift for yourself. You have to receive Christ personally. This is not a family gift. Like, my parents are Christ followers. They're Christians. Is that enough? Well, that's great if that's the case. But this is personal. You have to decide to respond personally. And so, have you ever done that? Will you consider doing that this Christmas season? Another possible response to God's gift for those who who have already received Christ and already follow him is this. Would you... Commit to share Christ. Would you commit to share Jesus, God's perfect gift, this Christmas? Buddy the Elf in the film, one of the phrases he likes to say is is this. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And here's what that means for us. Talk about your faith in Christ this Christmas. Make him the center. Talk about the difference that Christ has made in you because that's tangible. And people that know you well, when they see the the changes that God is bringing about in your life, it's really hard to deny that. It's very helpful for people to see and to hear about the real difference that Jesus makes here and now in our lives. I'd love to know if there's, if there's any way at all that we could help you as you process the Christmas story. Uh, our staff will be, will be out in the courtyard next to the world's best cup of coffee bar getting refills of coffee, just visiting. And so if you'd like to talk about the Christmas story, if you have any questions, uh, come stop by and say hi. We have so much to celebrate this Christmas season. Uh, at the bottom of your listening guide, it says there's some next steps. I encourage you to consider taking one of these. The first one is this. It says, for the first time, I want to believe and trust Christ with my life. You know, on the back of this connection card, this blue card, uh, that line is also printed right on here. And there's a little box. It's, it's got a little box for you to check. If, you, if you're at a point where you would say, I want to receive that gift. I would like to commit my life to follow Christ. I've never become a Christian. I've never, but I, I would love to do that. Uh, if you're at a point where you're ready to do that, check that box. Drop this in the offering basket, and we'll follow up with you. And we would love to clarify, make sure you do have all your questions answered, and then help you begin to grow as a Christ follower. If you would like to talk to someone right after service, again, come stop by our our table in the back uh, in the courtyard so we can visit with you. Another thing is share Christ with, and then we've left a blank. Maybe there's someone God's put on your heart to be praying for and to share uh, your faith with. And so maybe this is an opportunity for you just to jot down that as a reminder for yourself. The third thing is to give to the year-end offering to help 
share Christ with others. That's the major part, the focus of our Christmas offering is the difference we want to make in the lives of people. And then last, just a blank line, if there's something else that God has pinpointed specifically this morning to you, uh, jot that down for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for the gift that you've given. Lord, I pray for each person in the room. This is a this is a uh, such an important part of uh, of this season is to recognize the spiritual implications of Christmas. Lord, this is what it's all about. Lord, we we would desire that people would know you, and the way to know you is through your Son. You've made a way through Jesus's death and resurrection. Lord, we can have new life. We don't deserve it. We recognize that you demonstrated your love for us while we were still in our sin. You reached out to us. Lord, you're so loving, you're so merciful and kind and gracious. But, Lord, we need to respond to you. So, Father, I pray for those that are here that are on the edge of, of becoming Christians. Lord, I, I pray you continue to do that process of drawing them to yourself, Lord. For those that are walking with you here, I pray that you'd strengthen us this Christmas to continue to live for you and to share you with others, we pray. All these things in your Son's name, Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.